0: And welcome to Sunday Coffee, live from the Farm Bureau Studios, the roving Farm Bureau Studios. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield, joined this morning by Roy Oswalt, a former pitcher at Holmes Community College, Ware High School, and Houston Astros, what are you Houston? You were in Philadelphia, you were in Texas, anywhere else? Did I miss anything there? Colorado. That's right. How'd you like that? It was a little different. Yeah, a little bit different. That, yeah. that ball flies a little bit further.
1: You know, you go in there as a opposing player, and you're only there three days, so it don't seem like it affects you as much, you know, the the altitude, but when you're there for weeks at a time, it's, it's a little bit different.
0: Yeah. All right, so here's the thing, Roy, and we've known each other for a long time, and you've known Charlie for a long time, and we had been talking about getting together with you just to talk sports sometime. Of course, you live here in Starville now. We'll talk about everything you're doing right now, but... Then Omaha happened. Then the College World Series happened. And then on a Monday night after we had gotten beat in game one, we just grabbed you from the corner of the uh, the hotel lobby and we talked a little bit about baseball and about state and the College World Series. And so that kind of postponed this conversation, just three guys sitting around talking a little bit about baseball. But looking back to that, and Charlie and I have talked about this a couple times about That night, we were talking about Christian McLeod. He was coming back on some short-day rest. And then what do you do on Tuesday, Wednesday with with guys on short-day rest? And you you went into detail talking about the lower half, the lower body, and about guys missing high. And just looking back, it's been a month now, about what Will Bednar was able to do on that Wednesday night to throw the six hitless innings. How tough was that to do?
1: You know, it was a big, big game. I knew coming out. Um, I was actually sitting behind the plate that night, the last game, and uh, the very first couple of innings, he was he was up in the zone, up in the zone, up in the zone. And um, I was thinking, if he could ever try to either th- throw the ball shorter, um, a lot of times when 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 I would climb in the in the um, the zone, I would start looking at the plate and actually start trying to throw and hit the back of the plate, and it seemed like you would get through the ball a little bit longer, and uh, the ball would have more carry. But you know, after the first couple of innings. He threw a lot of pitches early. He kind of got calmed down and and started hitting the zone a little bit better. But he got a lot of guys swinging that high fastball. Anytime you can get the ball to ride, and you get those guys that are really anxious and trying to um, jump on the first pitch, and they know that he was going to throw a lot of breaking. I mean, a lot of a lot of fastballs coming at them. Get them to the swing of that pitch above the
2: zone. Uh, you get a lot of a lot of guys swing through it. How much of the throwing high, you predicted it very accurately the night before it happened. You said basically look high, look arm side, guys are going to be leaving it there. How much of it is being tired, and does being amped up contribute to you sometimes leaving the ball up? Sometimes, yeah.
1: Um, when I went into games like this, a lot of times during the playoffs, you may pitch you a know, short day's rest to try to get in an extra game. My whole philosophy was you know, guys would leave it arm side, arm side, so you have to be conscious about that when you go out there. And just the momentum of the game, slow it down. Try to think about, you know, I'm not throwing as you know fast as I can. Let's start thinking about location, location. Instead of trying, I'm gonna throw it by, and I'm gonna throw it by, and I'm gonna throw it by, and start thinking about down and away, you know, in it, you know, in, out, in, out. Change, you know, quadrants of the zone, up and down. But the hardest thing to do on short days rest is your legs. You you're on a schedule pretty much. College, professional ball, minor leagues, whatever you want to do. You're on a schedule. And when you get out of that schedule, your your legs just seem like your lower half doesn't come back the way it does when it's on a schedule. It doesn't matter how old you are, if you're 19, 20 years old, or if you're 40 years old. It just doesn't come back because you set your routine up to land on that fifth day in a pro ball. College, you know, they pitch once a week, but they set their stuff up to throw like that. And your body has to get used to coming back short, you know, short rest. And I've seen it a lot in the in playoffs. I'll watch, you know, playoffs in the, in the big leagues and guys – come out, um, Roger Clemens pitched with us, a lot of guys come out, you would see them trying to throw the ball almost in the dirt at the very beginning of the game just to get the ball down in the zone so they wouldn't get beat in the first two innings.
0: And we're talking to Roy Oswalt and here on Sunday Coffee, and of course, we're brought to you by Strange Brew Coffee House. Strange Brew, three locations, two here in Starkville, one on Highway 12, that's the original, and then one on University Drive and stopped there just about every morning. Get a scone, get a blueberry scone, get some blueberry cobbler coffee. I guess I'm a blueberry guy. And then on uh, up in Tupelo as well, I think Greg Ellis goes by there just about every day. And so three locations. They've got uh, turn and spoon ice cream, but they've got flavored coffees. They've got just regular coffee. That's for Charlie, just the, the down-the-line black coffee. That's right. It's all I need. And brought to you by Strange Brew Coffeehouse. And, of course, we're in the Farm Bureau Studios, the roving Farm Bureau Studios. Farm Bureau, they have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Farm Bureau, their service is phenomenal. So check them out at favorites.com and go with the home team at Farm Bureau. And one of the guys we're talking about right now is with the home team, living right here in Start. Well, I guess let's take this. You brought up a point a, mo- a minute ago about strength and conditioning, And getting ready, we want to talk about football, too. I mean, I told Charlie, I was like, you know, Roy, Roy was a football player, too, now. He was a wide receiver over at Ware High School, playing for Joe Gant. And here's one of the things, this time of year, getting ready for football. People ask me all the time what I think the difference is going to be with Mike Leach's team this year compared to last year. And one of the things that, that people around the program talk about right now is, The full year of the strength and conditioning program, and when you look at when Dan Mullen had a lot of success, it was Matt Bayless. It was working hard in the weight room. It was, you know, a very good. You may not have the the best talent, you know, in the league, but you worked hard and played hard. You know, going back, playing at Ware High School, you know, you and I both come from small high schools. Played against each other. Played ball with each other. Playing for a guy like Joe Gant. Playing for a guy like Junior Graham. And when I thought of wear, I thought of toughness. How does that parlay into making a program better?
1: You know, both, both of those guys, Coach Gant was uh, my coach all the way through. He, he even actually coached me my first year in, in baseball until um, uh, we got some other coaches in. But one, the, one of the best things that Coach Gant could do, I've never seen anybody that could get as much out of a player as Coach Gant could. I mean, he would make you believe. Some of the guys would come in and, and, and say, you know, I'm getting double teamed. And he bluntly would say, run through them. You're better than both of them. Run through them. And these guys would believe that. And next thing you know, these guys are getting double teamed because, you know, one of the better players on the line or whatever. They're getting back and getting sacks and and, and doing different things. And I'm like, man, it just – the way he presented himself reminded me a little bit of Tommy Lasorda. After he would talk to you, you could believe you could run through a wall. And he coached the other way, all the way through. He just – he had teams after teams after team because he built uh, trust in players and also built players to believe in their self when they got onto the field. And, you know, we never went into a game. I can never – I'll never forget this. I tell people all the time. We never went into a game wondering if we were going to win. We always went into a game wondering how bad we were going to win. And that's something <laughs> that he taught, you know. And, and, and a lot of times, you know, when we got in our senior year, a lot of times we only got to play till halftime because we were blowing guys out so much. Uh, by halftime, we never
0: got to play. Well, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> really. so here, I'm going to stop you right there. Here's the thing about where. Right, I remember warming up in that, uh, in that east end zone at where my senior year of high school, okay? We're dressing out a strong 23. <laughs> we're ranked number two in the state. We're unbeaten. We're playing at where. They're unbeaten. Roy's are the wide receiver position. They trot out fifty-five guys. <laughs> they come walking down that hill that night. And I remember looking at, at at Michael Ted Evans and saying, I don't know if they're gonna stop walking out of that tunnel. <laughs> I don't think they're gonna stop. And so <laughs> it's funny how, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we missed we were down twelve to seventh to half. I missed a twenty two yard field goal at the end of the first half, and then y'all beat the Ever-living dog <laughs> out of us. His- was it, Daniel? And what, what was the twin name? Uh, Daniel and Deshaun. Daniel and Deshaun. They absolutely murdered me <laughs> all night Well, it helps up. when you got uh,
1: Dennis McKinley that, you know, played for the Cardinals in the NFL. And then we had a uh, running back, Scott Key Miller, that was, you know, 200, 230, 240. I, I, I tell bed.
0: everybody all the time, I thought Scott Miller was the best running back that, that I'd ever seen in high school. And then you have McKinley in the same backfield. He had the other McKinley. Had the, uh, Alvin he, played tackle for us. Well, he was a cornerback, wasn't yes, he? Yes, Didn't he start yes. out at cornerback? Yeah, that's this right. guy moved from cornerback at <laughs> Ware High School <laughs> to playing down tackle, tackle for the Browns. him well, in mean, the three <laughs> technique. and
2: You know, you go back, think about all the guys that came from Ware, though. You know, Desenzo Miller, of
0: course. He was actually on that team, but he didn't
2: play
1: because he was in the ninth grader. Yeah, year.
0: they were dressing out seventh graders <laughs> walking in, making, making us well, our boys scared to death about, man, they got 55 guys out there. But doesn't
2: that say a lot about the depth of talent at wear? I don't care what grade Desenzo Miller was in. If he's in ninth grade <laughs> not getting on the field, that's pretty good guys yeah. out there, didn't they? You know, that's talk about football, and this is always the exciting time for me. I, I like football season for a lot of reasons. One of them is it just kind of brings structure to the week. You know that we've got Saturday, we got Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. And if you've got younger kids, you've got the Thursday night games. But just kind of puts things in order. I go back to this time of year, and one of the things that I have seen, I know Bart's seen it, is your kids grow up. All of a sudden, they start hearing, you need to be playing baseball this fall. You don't need to be playing football. We need you going over to Atlanta. We need you playing the dirt track tour here in Mississippi, <laughs> summer ball, right? And fall baseball. But then I look and I think of guys like you, who uh, Marcus Timms. You know, Mar- you know, you talked to Marcus. He thought he was going to be a football player. Turns out to be a baseball player. Are we getting away too much from kids playing football, from playing basketball, from doing other things? You know, as a kid, everything for me kind of had its season. Are we getting away from that too much?
1: I think so. Uh, I actually talked to a good friend of mine in Jackson right now that, that has travel teams, and, and he says the same thing. You know, these – these parents are seeing this and they're thinking that if they can get their kid in front of these scouts and different people all year long that they'll have a chance to play have a chance to play I've said this from day one the more sports you play the better athlete you're going to be all the way around it doesn't matter if you play if you want to end up playing baseball playing football you know running track playing basketball it's going to make you all around better athlete on the field not just be a baseball player and um, I think these Parents are getting caught up so much in this, you know, travel ball. I mean, I see sometimes on Twitters we got 12 year old kids tweeting that they felt good today because they went two for three and they attacked coaches in it, and they're 12 years old. Uncommitted. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it just blows my mind that these kids, you know, 12, 13 years old, are, are tagging college coaches about how they did in a summer league game in the middle of nowhere um, against a guy that might have been throwing, you know, 28 miles per hour. And it's just gotten out of hand. I really believe it should go back where, you know, you get in the fall, play football, play a different sport, give your arm a rest, give your body a rest from baseball and do something different. And then when the spring comes back around, you know, get back into baseball.
2: Personality of football coaches and baseball coaches is often very different. Now and then you run into that hard-nosed baseball guy. I've always said that I thought one of the advantages that kids who play football have in baseball as they go up, when you run into that guy who's got more of an edge to him, is you have an ability to take coaching better.
0: That's that Joe Gant approach. That's the Joe Joe Gant Gant approach.
2: That's the Joe Gant.
1: I mean, Joe Gant, uh, I call him Coach, but Coach Gant, every year he's going to get in your face. He's going to make you better. He's going to push you to that brink where you feel like you're going to snap. But he's that type where he can get so much talent out of guys that that didn't really want to give that 100%. They could give 90% and still be good. He could push them to give 110%. I tell people all the time, I was blessed to have Coach Gant coming up because once you get into the minor leagues and people are starting to get in your face because you have coaches in the minor leagues that coach pretty hard, but the media starts getting on to you, you're able to take it because you've already, you know, took it when you're in high school to build that character up to be able to play into the big leagues.
0: Talking to Roy Oswald, former big league pitcher, Ware, Mississippi native, lives here in Starkville now. and. Roy, along those lines, about you know, playing the game in seasons, and that's how we did it. I mean, we played baseball during the spring, then during the summer a little bit, and then all of a sudden it turned into football and basketball. You spent a lot of time in the big leagues. What, 13 years? 13 years. 13 years in the big leagues. Let me ask you this question. Do you think having somewhat of a fresh arm earlier in your life led to you being able to throw a 97-mile-an-hour fastball at age 32? I think it has a lot
1: to do with these kids throwing, you know, 60 games or or playing 60 to 80 games um, during the summer at age 12 and 13 years old. The rate of arm surgery went up 3,000% since we um, was coming through. I think you have growth plates as you grow, and the more you throw, the more you throw, you're pulling on those growth plates. And most of these guys now, you know, they specialize in one sport, so they're throwing nonstop all year long. I can say I've never in my life had a arm problem. And I've thrown 2,300 innings in the big leagues. I threw another 600 in the minor leagues. And I threw every game in high school my senior year.
0: I can believe that. <laughs> I,
1: <laughs> I can believe that. Uh, we pitched, you know, now it's so much. It's someone, I don't know who, I don't know what doctor or whatever, but these leagues have came where the 100 pitch count is sacred. I don't know if because it's got three numbers on it or where they came up with it, but I guarantee there's no study that says at 100 pitches you need to be out of the game or your arm's going to fall off. There's no study there, so someone come up with this number and everyone stuck with it. When we came up, you looked at innings, and if you had real tough innings where you had bases, you know, guys on base all the time, and you was, you know, grinding through a game, and next thing you know, you got 100 pitches in five innings. Yes, maybe, you know, come out of the game because he's throwing full tilt, 100% for five innings. Sometimes you go into games and you're in a seventh, eighth inning with 98 pitches, 100 pitches, and it's been a cruise control. You've given up three or four hits, thrown 12 pitches in an inning, nine pitches in an inning. Let that guy go. I mean, th- it's so different than that one pitch count, and they're stuck on the pitch count, and, and that shouldn't be regulated during a game. And it, I think you'll never see another 300 winner in the big leagues just because of that. You know, they've gone to so much – you give me five innings, i got a six inning guy, seven inning, 8th inning, ninth inning. And they've gotten away with watching the pitcher and letting the pitcher – if you can condition yourself to be able to pitch, you know, 140, 150 pitches a game, you have no problem being able to throw, you know, 130 pitches a game and try to get through a game.
2: It's interesting you mentioned that because it used to be that we had the closer and then we added in the setup man, and now there's two guys before we even get to the setup man now, which is – just drives me crazy – if you were looking at baseball today, I think back, Bart and I were digging in the numbers, trying to find what made Mississippi State different than other teams. If you look at batting average, they're kind of upper middle in the league. If you look at home runs, basically any stat you wanted to find, they were a fourth, fifth, sixth in the league until you stumble on a couple. And the ones that were different for Mississippi State, where they were the top of the league, fewest times striking out, most times striking out the opposing player, advancing run, runners with an out, not by a sacrifice month, but with an out, and scoring runners from third. It all goes back, even those stats to me, go back to putting the ball in play. As you, I know you've spent some time coaching, but right now, if you were made manager of a team at any level, is that the real message, quit striking out? Yes. The whole thing has gotten
1: to home runs. They're trying to get back. You know, the home runs. When, when Early in the 2000s, late 90s, these guys hitting 70, 60, you know, home runs, brought a lot of fans in. They wanted to see the long ball. That's that's not going to come back because of the way the game was played then. The, the whole thing now is you have these guys that come in that never really played, and, and they're talking about launch angles. They're talking about spin rate on the ball. They're talking about all this different stuff instead of hitting through the ball. And one of the things that I always would coach and anybody – and hitting or or pitching is getting through the ball. If if you can hit through the ball and put the ball in play, you got a lot better chance than not putting the ball in play. Does I mean you, still you know you got to make a play, and the more times you can make the defense react, the more more success you're going to have. And those numbers I didn't know those numbers you just told me, but uh, you know moving guys around, um, hitting with you know guys on um, different things like that. That has got away from the game. It's all about let's try to get a guy on and hit a ball out of the park. Let's got to get two guys on and hit a ball far. the park. Everything has went away from manufacturing runs. My biggest thing was when I pitched, I, hate the, I hated the fast guys and the guys that got on in, in the front of you because now you have to worry about them getting a second and scoring position. Now you have to worry about, you know, a little ground ball going through the infield and them scoring from second. Now they play base to base, base to base, and they're worried about the long ball. Without I mean – that's easy to pitch because there's only a certain amount of times a guy's going to hit a ball out of park. You know, if you look at these guys that hit 40 now, they get 660 at-bats. Well, the percentage is they're not going to hit a home run. So, I would go with those percentages a lot more than a guy that hits 330, 340, that puts a ball in play a lot and, and able to drive in runs, you know, without hitting the ball out of park.
0: Along those lines, did you watch the Field of Dreams game on Wednesday night? I watched parts of it. I, I did catch the very last part of it. Which was which was crazy. And, 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 you know, the, all the seemed like all the hits in the entire game were home mm-hmm. runs. I think both teams had eight hits apiece in that game. And you talk about the long ball. But one of the things I want to talk about, and, you know, we talked about your time at and playing for Coach Gann and Coach Junior Graham and, and those guys. But you also played junior college baseball in the state of Mississippi. And, and you look back at Wednesday night and Tim Anderson hitting the walk-off home run a product of East Central Community College, college with you and mine. And so uh, Marcus Marcus Timms, who was uh, the hitting coach for the Yankees, of course played in the big leagues for a while, was in that first base dugout. And and you go back to the point that sometimes you talk with parents of, my kid's too good to play in junior college ball. We're we're going for that big scholarship. And that's the reason we're going to play, you know, with three straight weeks with three different teams in East Point, because my kid's too good to play. I look at you – playing at homes, I look at all these guys. You start looking at junior college baseball in the state of Mississippi, a Cliff Lee at Meridian, so many different guys.
2: Well, look at State in the championship series. Oh, that's what I'm saying. The middle game, you've got two JUCO arms,
0: and to get to the championship series, you got a JUCO guy getting a hit to drive in a JUCO guy. Absolutely. But isn't the point of saying, hey, if my kid wants to play baseball, if, he wants to, if you think that it's going to deter him from being a great baseball player by playing multiple sports, and you start looking at the option of Mississippi Junior Colleges, you can get anywhere in the world in Major League Baseball through a Mississippi Junior College.
1: These guys get so caught up in um, looking at TV and, and, and what they put on TV, and they think that you have to go to these D1 schools to be able to play at the top level. I played with so many guys that come out of junior college ball that was great players. I mean, just on my team, I think Roger Clemens started out in junior college yep, um, sure in did. Texas. I, Andy Pettit went to junior college in Texas. I went to junior college. We had three starters right there in the big leagues that went to a junior college, and you got you know two Hall of Fame-type guys right there that was on the same team. We faced guys. Kirby Puckett went to junior college. You're talking about big-time players that came out of junior college, and these parents get caught up so much. If, if your kid loves to play baseball, let him go play don't try to send him to that D1 school if he don't have that offer. The one great thing about junior college ball is you can get drafted every year. So if you go to junior yep. college ball and have a great first year, you you could be in the big league or the minor league pro ball the next year. Or if you go to, to a D1 school, you're going to sit there three years unless you're a, a, a older guy and you get two years. So don't limit yourself for only waiting to that time. So if you have that first year and you have an unbelievable year, you get drafted. You go to uh, D1 school, you have a great year the first year. And the second year, you don't have a real good a year. Your draft stats goes down. So have that opportunity where you can get drafted every year.
2: When did you become a real major league prospect? When did when did you become, you know, kind of change from being the the good arm at wear to a guy who is a legit? This guy can do something. And what made made that change for you? When I got to Double A, I felt like I, I,
1: I wouldn't say I figured it out. But I learned how to pitch when I got to double A in a ball. I was still had enough talent where I could throw balls by guys a lot because I could throw hard. Um, I always had a good plus fastball, but I really didn't learn how the art of pitching until I got to double A. And the best thing that ever happened to me was I was always a strikeout guy strike out a bunch of people, don't let them put it in play. Mike Maddox, Greg Maddox, the brother, oh, yeah, was our double A pitching coach. and. He was actually in the big leagues that year, and he was, I think, his 23rd year or 21st year, whatever it was. He retired, and they put him straight into double-A pitching coach because how good he was talking to young players. He came in and started talking to me about different things, and, and he said, what about this? I, I never could throw 95, 97 miles per hour. I was an 87, 88 guy. But what about, let's get out on the first and second and third pitch instead of the sixth pitch? He said, you know, strikeouts great when you get to two strikes. But you can't strike them out on the first one. So the first two pitches, let's make them hit it on the ground. Let's make them hit it off the handle, make them hit it off the end of the bat and get you a one-two pitch out, and next thing you know, you're in the ninth inning, you got 90 pitches, and it's like a day off. Well, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, that's what, you know, thumbers do. That's what, the you know, the, the 88 <laughs> guys do. You know, 98 guys don't do that. 98 guys blow guys away. Well, he said, I'll tell you what, every game you get into the ninth inning with less than 100 pitches, I give you 100 bucks. Well, in the minor leagues, you're making 800 bucks a month. That's a lot of money, <laughs> you know. So I started thinking, man, I could make you know 400 more dollars a month by you know four or five starts, you know, and get four um, you know quality starts. so I started kind of changing speeds and taking a little bit off the fastball um, with my grip on my two-seamer. I would split it a little further so I could throw it 88, 89, still have the same arm speed, have a little drop on the ball. Same thing with cut the ball a little bit. So I started moving the ball around the plate a lot, but Next thing you know, you're getting. You know, seven pitches you're out of the inning or ten pitches you're out of the inning instead of 15 and 18 pitches.
0: And I'm looking in the seventh inning, and I look up, and I got 78 pitches, and I'm in the seventh. I'm like, man, this this is nice right here. You know, it's so funny you say that. You know, we had, had a conversation with your former teammate, Roger Clemens, and that's what he said. He said, if so many people thought I was just a power pitcher, and he said, when I learned how to throw that two-seam fastball to that guy who likes to foul pitches off and just get... I don't care if he get, grounds the ball through the left side and gets a base hit. I just want him off... I want him out of the box, that's right. and it's about getting deep into games that way. That was that was so intriguing to me about how a guy that's perceived as the power guy then all of a sudden it becomes that two seam you know, maddox style pitcher trying yeah. to round that two seam in.
2: Yeah, and you bring it back to the World Series experience for Mississippi State. I thought one of the guys, kind of an unsung hero, was Scotty Debrule. If you looked at the first six innings of ball games in the World Series three out of four, you know, basically 75% of the time he was running those to full counts. And so you got this guy in your order who's coming up sixth, seventh in the order, but he just keeps fouling balls off, you know, multiple times he goes eight, nine, ten pitches deep in innings. When you're in that tournament setting, you're trying to run guys, that get them out. No doubt. And the it's, worst
1: thing ever is when a guy's sitting there and you 10, 12 pitches a bat, he's like, man, just, just hit the ball. Just get a hit. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. Get to the next
0: guy. Let me ask you this question. So we, you talk about Dennis McKinley. I remember Dennis McKinley, I guess it would have been the, the spring of our junior year, and then this was going into our senior year of football. So you play the spring games and, and of course we can talk so much about you remember us having to fight with Thomas Town at the spring game when we were both wearing Maroon think, yeah, over there? Yeah, yeah. You guys were you guys were climbing the fence to come out on the field <laughs> and Coach Gantt was like, Who are you gonna fight when you get there? <laughs> and so but I think back to Dennis McKinley and Dennis McKinley was a bean pole. His junior year in high school. Then he comes out his senior year, and we're like, How in the world did that happen? I mean, how, I mean, this guy. And they said, Well, he hauled pupwood all summer. <laughs> and so I got, I got a question for you. How many, how many summers with your dad, with your brother? Uh, how, how, how was hauling the pupwood? How, how was, how was the logging? How did that help you out?
1: You know, kids don't do what we did growing up. You know, there's a lot more inside the house playing um, games and stuff now than, than we, than we got to do. But Uh, we were actually when he was supposed to be out there because of um, insurance and stuff like that but we was out there at 14 15 years old you know running (laughs) chainsaws and and cutting trees down and and doing different things all summer long and and it 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 built a work ethic you know and and it made you stronger quicker and and just like Dennis I mean his dad was in logging also and I remember there was there was actually a track of timber that we was cutting both on at the same time they was across the road and they had an old cable skitter, skitter that you had to actually pull the cable out and then hook the logs up to pull them up to the thing. And, and, um, I remember the next day at school, uh, Dennis's hand was swollen up and I was like, man, what's wrong? He said, "That stupid wires stuck through my hand. You know, <laughs> so you got wire, you got these gloves and stuff like that. But, but I mean, they, I mean, Dennis and Alvin, uh, both of those guys, just tremendous athletes, but I, they got a lot of that from the work that they did during the summer. Their dad made them work, you know, every day. And, um, he had two, or, two or three other brothers that are really good, in, baseball, in football too. But um, those guys, Dennis came out of his senior year. He weighed probably 220. The one thing about Dennis that separated himself from Scott, Scott Key, Scott Key would just run over you. You know, he never really yeah. looked to go around you. He just wanted to run through you.
0: Oh, I know he did that to me a couple times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but Dennis was a guy. One time he would fake you out and go around you, and the next time he run over top of you. So you never knew how to break down. You broke down, he'd run over you. And, it, and it just a little bit different with him.
2: Well, They're perfect Jackie Sherrill players, aren't they?
0: Absolutely. Oh, they were. And you talk about segues. If Dennis McKinley were a senior today, he may not be as big. If his dad – Got his equipment from Tracks Plus, uh-huh. the, the Barco equipment, the Barco forestry equipment. So you wouldn't have to to drag anything no. out if, if you got that Barco equipment from Chris Weems. I think I they figured. were running Franklin back then. <laughs> and <laughs> so Barco at Tracks Plus, Tracks Plus they have the the forestry equipment. They also have the construction equipment, the Saney equipment. Chris Weems, they've got two locations at Tracks Plus. T R A X Tracks Plus. Go to TracksPlus.com. They've got the location in Hickory, right there on the I twenty exit, and then right here between Startwell and Columbus, uh, on the way on the south side of Highway eighty two. Tracks plus any equipment that you possibly need. Charlie has said that he has never run a mini excavator before, and I, but my my goal is to get Charlie on an excavator. So <laughs> that that kind of leads me this: what was the story?
2: You were given by your teammates? Was that it, that you got a, a tractor or a bulldozer? Drayton was the owner. The owner. Okay, so yeah. what, what's the story? We were
1: uh, in 05. Uh, Drayton was one of the, probably the nicest people you'd meet for as an owner. You know, most most owners don't even come in the clubhouse. Drayton was there pretty much every homestand. <clears throat> Just tremendous guy. Still talk to him today. He came in a couple of times, and I'm 26 years old at the time. He gets to talking about a ranch or, or a piece of land he owned in, in Texas, and he said he just bought a D six dozer. that He was going to clean up about three or four hundred acres, make something. So while he was talking, I said, "Well, when you get finished with it, you ought to let me buy it pretty cheap, since I'm playing for you, He's trying to negotiate a deal." You know, <laughs> during during uh, while we was in the clubhouse. Well, he uh, he kind of laughed about it, or whatever. Well, the media was standing there, a bunch of the writers for the Astros, and uh, I just kind of came up with a brainstorm. I said, "Well, better yet." If I pitch us into the World Series, you all just buy me a new one. Well, we, at the time, we were seven games out of first place. And um, I think he was thinking, you know, there's no chance we're going to come back from this. Well, next thing you know, he goes, you know what? We got a deal. If you pitch us in the World Series, I'll buy you one. And I turned to the media and made sure they had that on tape. You know, I was like, y'all got that on tape? So, uh, he was caught. So, we kind of rocked on and kind of forgot about it. The next next month, we win 23 or 4 out of 30 games. And then the next month we almost win the whole month. We I'm, I think we lost two games the whole month. The Next thing you know we're right there at first place. And I'm like, the last day of the season, um, I had to pitch the last day of the season, I, and and we had to win that game to um, to get into the playoffs. So we won that game against the Cubs, and um, got into playoffs. Well now I still you know still have two playoff series to get to the World Series. The first game the first series was against Atlanta. We end up going four games or five games four games five games and um, uh, we, we won in Atlanta, I think. And then the next series, we were playing St. Louis. Well, we had the game one in, against St. Louis in Houston that Brad Leach was pitching that poor hole sitting home run on. And well, that
0: was a massive, <laughs> massive home run.
1: It was so funny because Brad was so good that year. If anybody put the ball in play, it was like, oh, my God. Well, next thing you know, we get, he goes home run. It was kind of shocking because we haven't seen that all year. He had like a, I don't know, a one ERA. And he had I think he had 70 innings, 150 strikeouts. It was just something ridiculous. Crazy. So, he hits home run. So, now the next day I'm pitching to to try to put us in the World Series. So, it almost like it, it was meant to line up to happen. <laughs> so, I'm sitting in St. Louis, and I'm watching film on Pujols, Edmonds, uh, Larry Walker, and some of the other guys trying to see what I did to them the time before and, and how they swung at different pitches. And uh, he comes in the locker room, the rest of the team's on the field taking BP, and he's trying to pump me up. And I'm trying to watch TV, but I'm trying to be respectful, too. And – um He finally said, "You know, if you win tonight, I got to buy you that dozer." Well, that got my attention pretty quick. Pretty quick there, so um, we shook on it. And and I was thinking, when I walked out there, that was on my mind. Actually, when I was pitching, I was thinking, if I can win this thing, I mean, two hundred fifty thousand dollars dozer. You know, it's pretty pretty good gift. Well, about the 7th, 8th inning, when I came out, I was thinking, if we can just hold this thing for a couple more hours, I'm going to hold him to it when it gets finished.
0: That's when you look at your reliever and say, let me tell you something, <laughs> you, you blow this lead right here, buddy. No That's doubt. Right.
1: Do you still have the dozer? I do. He um, he called me that off season about October. No, no, he called me November and said, hey, you got something to pick this thing up with. And I said, I'll be there tomorrow. So we drove, <laughs> we drove down and picked it up, put it in front of the stadium, took some pictures and came home. Still got it. Still got Astro symbols on
0: it. <laughs> That's great.
2: Oh, man. So let's talk about what you're doing now. We are actually, I don't know that we shared this earlier, Bart, our roving studio today. We in are case. live from Taste. Yeah, sitting here, and this is, this phenomenon. I was telling you that I've, I've come here to eat and sat in the dining room the first time I've kind of been in the bar area. This place it is just amazing. You kind of forget that you're in Starkville when you come in here. But, you know, talk about what you've got going on now.
1: We started this. Uh, a good friend of mine, Craig uh, Fant, has been in the restaurant business for a while. I think this is – I think he said it was 36 or 37 restaurants he's opened now. Um, we've, I've lived here now since 2010. Uh, we wanted to change um, the atmosphere, I guess you'd say, and, and start for the, a little bit different uh, feeling inside restaurants and, and the food. Um, he, he's gotten to you know chef I think he's chef uh, been chef in New York City uh, uh, New Orleans different places all over the world I've gotten to eat been blessed to be able to play um, big league ball and got to eat some of the best restaurants around the world I wanted to try to bring that back home um, I told him he came to me and said hey let's 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 do something let's bring something to start for that people may never get to experience um, in that live around here so we started brainstorming on what we're going to do and 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 my idea was a steakhouse at the very beginning of it because I felt like we needed that in town. We just don't have that premier um, steakhouse. He wanted to do a little bit of American food like this at Taste and uh, and change up the recipes every six months so you don't get have the same recipe time and time again. Because a lot of restaurants here, you know, they have the same menu that when I was in high school, and you have the same stuff on the menu. We're going to try to change it all the time. And uh, we got together, started brainstorming together. Um, the veranda came up. For, for, so, so we could use it and um, started talking to Frank about it. And next thing you know, he started putting menus together, showing me what he could do and stuff like that. We got a really good staff come in. The whole thing with the restaurants to me is the people you put in it, um, the experience you get in, um, get into. We brought uh, Mike McIntosh uh, from from 38 down on the coast. Um, he used to work at Emeralds, a uh, big restaurant down there. Really, it's hard to get into. It's pretty much packed every time you go there. Uh, he brought some of his guys up with um, um, Corey is one of the best probably bartenders I've ever been around. He can, you know, he can make things that I never even heard of. You know, the other night he come up with some cornflake drink, had cornflakes in it, which was unbelievable. It's like a uh, after dinner drink.
0: Man, some kind of clarified milk deal. Yeah. I
1: mean, that, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. He he comes up with just unbelievable. He's a mixologist. I mean, he he comes up with different things, that, you know, it's just Tremendous what he does, and um, uh, we also he also brought a general manager in, with John, and these guys have been around the restaurant business for a long time and um, know what it takes to run a successful uh, business. And um, everyone that comes in has been just really appreciative about the service and about you know, the way you get treated when you come in. And, and we actually, you know, we brought all these waitresses in and all these staff in, and we actually came out of pocket and taught class for three weeks before we ever opened the doors. So these guys have been in here, you know, eight hours a day, and my main thing was I hate going into restaurants, and you want to order something, and you ask what's in the, you know, and, and whatever you're going to order, and the waitress don't know. And they have to go back to the back and ask the chef, what's in this, you know? and we, we train every one of our staff to know everything on the menu, and um, when you ask them, they know right offhand what's in it so they can tell you. And it's just little things like that that you can be better at, and I think Starful missed out on that a lot. Uh, you You see a lot of midline um, stuff and there's, there's some places great places to eat and start for we just wanted to add something a little bit different um, taste has been doing great we've been um, um, really surprised at, at the uh, positive feedback we've gotten from different people we're starting to open on 44 prime that's one of the things i wanted to do i love say
2: you wanted the steakhouse he wanted american so you <laughs> compromised and did both right? yes yeah, so we just uh,
1: says so you know what let's just do both of them And he's wanting to keep going uh, (laughs) with another (laughs) one, so I'm trying to pull the reins back. I tell him hunting season is coming up; we got to pull the (laughs) pull the reins back. But, but yeah, we're gonna uh, next week. We're gonna open up 44 Prime. Um, It's a, you know, you have to drive almost 100 miles to get prime steak anywhere around here. So we're trying to bring something. A lot of people look at Starful, and they just look at the 25,000 people that live in the city limits of Starfall.
0: Man, it's regional, baby. It's regional.
1: Starful is you know seven eight counties around you. so you can't just look at the the people that live here. You get a lot of people that come in forty and fifty miles away to come in and start for the eat. And uh, I wanted that for the you know Mid Mississippi, great place to eat. Try to have the best food that we can have. We should be open next Friday, and it should be a you know it should be a great place.
0: It's not just about the food. Now you you want a great food experience, but it's about experience. It's about sitting there and having the meal and having the full experience. And to me, what has been a great separation for you guys here at Taste, and we're at Taste here in Starkville on Lincoln Green in the roving Farm Bureau studios. And then with 44 Prime, it's the experience with the service. The service is what drives it. And, and like you mm-hmm. said, going through the detail that you go through before you even open, really it creates a great experience. And I'll tell you what, it's, every time I've been in here, and Jen and I have come a good bit, we came here for lunch two days ago. And so the service has always been outstanding.
1: You know, one of the things I wanted to create, and this is what I took, Craig, that I wanted to do, is when I was playing ball on the road, a lot of times we would have, say we were in San Francisco or wherever we were at, and we had time in the morning or whatever, three or four hours something, you'd go watch a movie or something, or you have an off day on the road or something like that. And you get, you know, you go to a movie theater and you get caught up in the movie, and when you get up, you forget what town you're in because you're so much into the movie. I wanted to create that kind of experience when you walk in the door, you having a good time. You don't see everybody on the cell phone. You want, you you're having a, you're trying to have a great time. So that when you walk out the door, he's like, "Oh, I'm a start for still," like you're almost somewhere else. And that's the kind of experience we wanted to do and taste and and Forty Four Prime.
0: Well, let me tell you this: Forty Four Prime. I was there two nights ago. Let me tell you this: I felt like I was dropped in the middle of Vegas in a Vegas steakhouse or a Miami steakhouse. And you know, that's one of the great things that Charlie and I too have been able to do is travel the country doing ball games and. Let me tell you this, man, 44 prime, I felt like I was in the middle of Las Vegas when I walked in that place.
1: That's the kind of experience we wanted to do, just different, you know, not, not the same thing that, that's been done here year after year. We're trying to do something a little bit different. Just just create an overall experience so that, um, you know, just you you want to carry your wife for an anniversary. You want to carry your wife for a birthday or something like that. You don't have to drive 120 miles to get, you know, a great meal and have an experience in the restaurant. And um, it's just all, all the way around. We try to do all four things, you know, service, food, uh, the way it looks, and, uh, you know, the, the temperature and the, and the music and everything. Try to have it all flow together.
0: All right. Before we get out of here, Charlie, you got anything else? I got one. I got the I got the hokey question. I got the question everybody always wants to ask, but the bad media always ask. All right. I do have one question okay. before you go to that. Of all your
2: teammates that you have played with, who's the most interesting interview? If,
1: if you wanted to get into pitching philosophy, I wish he was still here. Doc Holliday was one of the probably smartest guys I've been around for far as talking pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just tremendous, the knowledge that he had about the game. Uh, Roger and he was uh, uh, real close about that. Um, they'd study the game every day. Fun interview. You know, I, I well, go to hitting, Bagwell will probably be the best one as far as talking hitting, just knows the game, knows the hitting approach. He'll tell you right out of the shoot, don't hit like me, you know, because he didn't have the greatest stance in the world, but he made it happen. You know, the whole thing with him is like I don't care how you start, it's how you finish, and that's the way I was with pitching. I don't really care about where you're at in your delivery. It's just all about when your foot hits the ground and you start going toward the plate if you're in a good position to throw the ball. He would be a great hitting instructor. Uh, probably one of the best interviews you could do, with, and he's not even a player, but he was a, a pitching coach of mine, Is uh, Jim Hickey. I think he's a, a, actually a pitching coach now in Washington. But um, interview-wise, he'd probably give you the best interview of anybody.
0: All right, so I'm going to go posing players, all right? And I want to give you three guys that you would not want to pitch against. Three of the toughest outs looking over your 13-year 13, 13 major league career. If you had to get three outs against somebody, who are the three guys you would not want to face? Barry
1: Bonds was probably the toughest out anybody through about a three-year period there I've ever seen in my life. Pujols, for about seven years there when we were playing each other in division, if you didn't make a quality pitch, you were going to get hurt somewhere. I mean, he's either going to hit a line drive somewhere or, or it's going to be you know, out of the park or a double off the wall. And Larry Walker was actually – really hard out he get you know later in the career toward the end you could get him out but at the very beginning when he was with colorado <laughs> it was amazing how much plate coverage he had you could throw balls off the plate and he could hit it
0: when i think of larry walker i still think of the montreal expos
2: yeah you have to don't you yeah yes i, I want to f- ask one more question i know we need to wrap up but you said something to me not too long ago we were talking about chris burke chris burke that played at tennessee and a broadcaster of the sec network and ESPN. I saw you, Rafael Palmero, Chris Burke, visiting with each other at the hotel. And you guys played together with Burke, but you said something to me about kind of how that guy who is the utility player sometimes knows more about the game, more about hitting than guys who are really good at it. Does that bear out in your experience? And, you know, you've done some coaching. How much does your success, do you think, become a challenge for you coaching?
1: I think, uh, you know, a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys that were really good Hall of Famers that can't coach. They just don't know how to explain it, I guess you'd say. And it came so natural to them. They really didn't have to work at it a whole lot to be good. They were just naturally talented to be really good. I know a lot of hitters out of way that was tremendous hitters, really, I mean, one of the best in the game. But they can't coach it. Uh, They just can't explain it because it, it, it came so natural to them. One of the things I feel like that helped me is I was so small coming up, I had to use my body more than anybody. So I taught myself and and learned how to do that so I can relay that to other guys that that, that wasn't as strong as me as far as velocity. I could teach them to use their body a little more than than a lot of players can that was 6'6", 6'8", that could just, you know, stand tall and have angle. I was a more drop-and-drive guy. So I felt like I could teach that a little bit better to guys that didn't have the velocity to get them, you know, three or four miles per hour faster. Um, I think that helps me as, as trying to uh, explain the, the mechanics of pitching. But there's a lot of guys out there that are really good at a game that they, they're not real good coaches.
0: Roy, we appreciate it. Of course, we're also brought to you by Bang First. Bang First, better way to bank. They have locations in Mississippi and Alabama. Moat Griffin. Marcus Mallory. I talked to John Shapley the other day down in Hattiesburg. And, of course, you know Johnny Ray and so many different guys in Bank First. They're a growing bank, and they're fantastic to deal with. We talked about customer service a minute ago in the restaurant industry. That's what they base their business on is customer service with Bank First. And so, hey, guys, I enjoyed it. I mean, we, just, we said we're just going to sit around the table, and we're going to talk sports, talk about where, we talk about, Goodman, talk about homes, talk about baseball. I've enjoyed the heck out of this, guys. I
2: appreciate it. Thank you, guys.
0: So, for Roy Oswald, for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. We appreciate you once again listening to Sunday Coffee. And once again, we're in the Farm Bureau Studios, the roving Farm Bureau Studios here in Taste in Startville. And once again, thanks to our fine sponsors in Strange Brew Coffee House, Tracks Plus, and Bank First. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us.